Hello, everyone. This is Barbara Legrand Cockrell, and welcome to our call tonight. Hope you're all doing well. So let me just uh, explain to you that we hold this call on the second Monday of every month. Uh, Gold Club members can submit prior to the call that we would review. And if you're not a Gold Club member, you can listen but can't participate. So you can get more information and sign up for the Gold Club at www.ronsgoldclub.com. So let me explain to you how you can ask questions or get in the queue to discuss your deal. So if you are a Gold Club member and you'd like to ask a question or discuss a deal you've submitted, then you press star six to be entered into the queue. If you're a Gold Club member and you did not dial in on the interactive line that's listed on your Gold Club membership website homepage after you log in, then you should hang up now and dial back in using that phone number and access code if you want to ask any questions. So um, I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller. So here we go. Okay, so um, who's in the queue right now? Hi, this is Danielle. Hey, Danielle. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Um, I just I, so I had a couple questions. Um, uh, one is in regards to uh, marketing with yellow letters. Okay. Uh, I, I was wondering, um, I guess, uh, if, if you're using yellow letters right now and what specific uh, target list uh, is working really well for you right now. Um, because I've, I've used one that's worked, but I've used it up for that area, I guess, and I want to continue to market, market in that same area. Okay, well, that's a good question. And if you get with Christy King, who is the yellow letter lady, and I can give you her contact information, then she is really excellent, too, because she'll be sending out the yellow letters for you. She's really excellent to get you in touch with a list provider that can help you and give you possibilities that are in your area. We can talk about some motivated lists, but let me give you a contact information first. That's Christy King. It's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y at yellowletterlady.com. And her phone number is 904-571-9363. And she can help you when she, what she'll do is put you in touch with the list provider. And the reason it's wonderful to use her is because she knows what other Ron LeGrand students have been sending lists perhaps in your area. So if another Ron LeGrand student is calling her to get yellow letters, then she can say, oh, well, somebody just mailed to this group and suggest another group. So in answer to your question of what would be a motivated seller list, um, you would think in terms of who needs to sell and not just wants to sell. So, for example, that would be pre-foreclosures because if they don't make their payment, then they're going to be out and the bank will send a, a list pendants letter and will be asking them, you know, will be foreclosing on them. So they have a need to sell. Other needed people, other needed motivated sellers are going to be 
people that are in probate. So it would be great to do a pre-probate list or a probate list. Um, other motivated sellers would be out-of-town owner vacants where they are vacant, especially in COVID. They may not even want to deal with renters anymore. So um, you got a chance of either getting it on owner financing or doing a lease with an option to buy. So those are motivated sellers. In addition, you have uh, people that maybe are divorcing. That's a 50% chance. And um, evictions, you have uh, bankruptcies. You have uh, tax delinquents. Um, there's a, a huge list that Christy can help you with, and she can provide options for you to send to motivated sellers and help you in that way. Did that answer your question, Danielle? Yeah, yeah, that does. Uh, and then in regards to um, uh, bandit signs, I heard that some some people actually hire people to stick up the bandit signs like Friday, take them back up Sunday. Um, I, I guess, how do you handle your bandit signs, and do you have any tips or recommendations around that? Yeah, you can do that. There are companies that you can hire uh, to do that. I'm trying to remember the name of the company offhand right now. Um, I can't remember it, actually. But you can hire a company that can put out the signs, and they can pick them up. Usually the sign police doesn't really, they don't really matter if you put them out on Friday and you pick them out, pick them up Monday morning, but after that, then it becomes a problem. Um, I would send an email in to get your specific question answered on the company that does it. I'm trying to think of their name and I can't. So, but if you ask the question, ask Ron, then they can answer that question for you and give you the specific name of the company that would help with that. Okay, are they like a, I guess, a nationwide company? Yeah, it is. It is okay. a nationwide company. Um, yeah. Okay. And then uh, the other question that I had, um, so one of my deals uh, that I, I uh, had signed, it's, uh, you know, a pretty house deal. Uh, the, I was switching over the insurance. Um, to my my own, you know, renter's insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And there was money, you know, left over from his policy because it was going to expire right, middle of this year or something like that. Um, and there was supposed to be a $900 balance that he was supposed to put back into escrow so there wouldn't be a shortage. And we we had agreed to, you know, all this. And then last minute, he's like, oh, sorry, spent the check, um, you know, and, and basically you're not going to get your money because uh, I bought the house for, for you know, nothing down. And, and basically I, I took over his mortgage. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is there a way or, or some kind of paperwork that I can do uh, to prevent myself uh, from from getting scammed like this. <laughs> well, are you talking about the mortgage company? No, I'm talking about uh, the insurance. So you know how I'm insurance sorry, insurance company. Yeah, yeah. So they they mailed the check directly to him, and then he just cashed the check instead of putting it into the escrow like we had spoke about. Well, I think that's a done deal, and that's something you're going to have to deal with. If, you, if they mailed the check to him, 
then I would get back with them and see if there's anything that they can rectify. Obviously not if he cashed it, so he would have to make it good. I'm assuming you're making the payments to the seller, right? No, I make the payments directly to the lender, but I'm just wondering, is there any kind of paperwork that I'd be able to do in the future to, to protect myself, you know, there shouldn't be a problem with a insurance company if you've communicated with them properly and you've got it set up properly. Tell you who Ron uses for future insurance, and that is um, – I can give you the well, website. This, this, this wasn't my insurance. Uh, this was his insurance. So I was switching it out of his insurance company to my own insurance company. So when he canceled his policy, they mailed him a check. Okay, so you're getting insurance going forward, and so um, that's what I, I would get back with your insurance company and see how you can coordinate that because um, and how it's supposed to work with that as uh, as far as the monies and and how they can help you with working that out because um, you know that went back to them. So you're going to have to work that out between the owner and the insurance company as far as doing that, recouping it. And future, it's just a matter of coordinating with your insurance company to make sure that that's done properly. If you use REI Guide, they handle this stuff all the time. It, their email address is getpropercoverage.com. Okay. So they can help you with future issues like that. Okay. Right now, All right. It's done what it's done, so you're just going to have to make arrangements. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, and then the only other question that I have here is in uh, Section B of the Standard Purchase and Sale Agreement um, when you're doing a, a wrap, or mm-hmm. I, I, not B, but, uh, you know, the, where you lay out the terms of the wrap. Yeah, to B. Yeah, there we go. Is, is So I had a lender actually ask me on one of the houses because my customer is trying to qualify for another loan. Uh, so the payment was like, let's say, 949 when I originally signed it, and then the payment's gone down to about 700 bucks because of taxes and insurance and stuff like that. Um, and he's like, well, where's the difference of the money going? Are you paying him? Like, where does it say that when the payment goes down, like, I just pay whatever the loan amount is? Well, that's how you figure it out in the contract when you complete the contract. If you pick the box um, down there that says the balance will be principal and interest to be determined prior to closing, um, the amortization schedule is done by the attorney at closing. So, um, And then it's designated depending on, you know, if, if you're doing it, on, uh, if, it depends on how you fill out the contract. If you put that you're um, wrapping it around the underlying loan, then whatever is paid on principal is going to go to principal. Whatever is paid on interest is going to go to interest so that when the payoff is done, you would owe, you would take advantage of the pay down. So okay. that would be account for and to be there. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Danielle. Good luck with it. Bye. Bye. Okay, so who's next up in the queue? Hi, this is Mike. How are you? Hi, Mike. Good. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Um, So it's funny because um, 
my question is kind of related to uh, something Danielle was asking about um, just now. Um, so I am getting ready to close on my first subject two deal. Um, and I also, so let me back up. Um, the, the seller is in some arrears in his mortgage, right? So the agreement that we came to was I will bring him current on his loan and, I, you know, I'll take over his payments and he'll, you know, uh, hand over title. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So regarding the insurance, right, this is kind of what Danielle was asking, but, you know, he currently has his current policy in escrow with the lender, and I'm going to be getting my new policy, and he's going to be canceling his. So how do I go about getting my new policy into the, the escrow for the loan and technically I'm bringing his policy current again. So shouldn't I be getting, I guess, how does, how does it work with the insurance is my question. Um, and if you're going to do a subject to policy, then what you're going to do is on the contract, if it's subject to, then you're going to mark through paragraph six that says all taxes, rentals, condominium or association fees, prepaid hazard insurance premiums, monthly mortgage insurance premiums, and interest on loans will be prorated as of the date of closing. You're just going to mark through that because you don't want anything prorated because you're just going to keep paying the payment that the seller paid and so on. You're just going to continue to do that. So what will happen is you'll contact the, co the insurance company and they will you know, do a cancellation for that and, um, and, and do the new policy and add them on as the lost payee. And so then the insurance is just not going to go through their escrow. Um, or you can notify the uh, mortgage company that it's a different insurance company then. A different, you, you would get an authorization to release information from the seller at the same time so you have authorization to talk to um, the lender. So you just right. notify them of the new policy and that could be escrowed in their payment, but um, maybe it's just a matter of notifying them so they take it off and it's not escrowed in and it's paid separate. So um, depending on which way you can work that out. And if you call REI Guy, they can help you with that too as far as arranging, you know, with the escrow, arranging with the payment made. I'm telling you how it gotcha. to make it and so on. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, basically, uh, if I could just um, add on, so or, or just make sure that I'm understanding you correctly. So uh, let's say he's $5,000 behind on his um, current loan, which includes taxes and insurance and all that. Are you suggesting that I bring him current but don't pay the mortgage portion of it? No, I didn't say that. You've got to bring all the payments current when you close. Um, right. 
you know, that'll all be done current and it'll be too current and then you would be taking over um, the policy at, at closing. You're getting a new policy in there at closing for insurance. Right, but if I bring him current, I'm also replenishing the escrow account, which includes the insurance policy, right? Right. So then I, have, I will have made that payment and then we're canceling the policy. So wouldn't I be basically throwing that money away because he, he would probably get the return check of the policy? Yeah, that's something you would have to coordinate with the insurance company itself so that you could get any um, refunds or coordinate that and not have to pay for uh, well, insurance incurred, so you're paying for what incurred. So, but I would just coordinate with them the, between the new policy and the current policy um, for that purpose. Okay. Sorry for the tough question. I, I just want to make yeah. sure that I... I mean, I'm not so, sure how the insurance is going to be handled with something that's behind like that because and technically you still owe it, um, you haven't used it, but it's still due, and I know you're going to be canceling it, but I don't know if they're going to charge them for it. So I imagine they charge them for that period of time that, and they would take it out of escrow eventually if it wasn't paid. So that's going to have to be a handled through the closing agent, um, how they're going to handle the insurance payment like that with um, getting that paid, because they're going to be ones that are going to be paying the insurance to the old one and to the new one. You see that? You see what I'm talking about? Right, right. I don't want them yeah. to pay it to the old one. Right. At all. Right. Yeah. So they can coordinate that for you. Uh, who can? The closing the agent? The closing, yes. The, the attorney, the closing agent. I see. Because they're okay. going to be making, they're going to be dispersing that for you at closing. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, great. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Okay, so the next caller, please. Hi, um, this is Maria, and um, I have a question about um, probate. So okay. I have I have a, um, someone that's willing to sell their house to me, um, you know, with owner financing, but it's already in probate. Um, he had a brother that passed away, so now there's no will. And he's the administrator. It's him and two other siblings. Um, he's fine with doing owner financing. Um, and I did talk to my real estate attorney, and he said, well, I, I haven't finished the conversation. He said, you can buy a house in probate, but it's more complicated, um, you know, to do owner financing um, with that. So I'm wondering, what is your experience or what do you know about buying a house already in probate with owner financing? You absolutely can do it. It's what the seller agrees to. Um, you know, you just finish the probate. What state are you in? New Hampshire. Okay. So you would finish the probate. Well, obviously you've got an agreement with them to purchase the house on owner financing, and so um, I would coordinate with the probate attorney that's handling it, and um, it's whatever they agree to. It's whatever the heirs agree to that is going to take place and the attorney should be able to do that if they're a real estate investor friendly attorney then okay. um they should be able to handle that for you 
And since it's in probate, do I ha- would I have to use not just my closing attorney, but whoever their attorney is with the probate? Um, well, once the probate is final, it's final. And so then what the probate is doing is declaring the ownership. It's clearing the ownership. It's clearing the title or who's on title. So um, once it's final, it's final. And then you would just get that notification, that, that information, and your attorney can handle it from there. If they had to contact the other one, they could, but it's a matter of just being finalized so that um, the deed will then, the, your attorney will have to handle that, getting the, um, so the property would go through probate and then so that probate attorney would handle clearing out the, the deed and all and such for the title. So do I have to wait the, the, however long, it could be months and months for it to clear probate or is there a way to, to speed that up? Um, the attorney may be able to speed that up, okay. but you are waiting for the probate process to be completed. In Florida, it can be pretty quick. I don't know how long it's going to be in another state, but yes, yeah, you would have to wait through it being completed. And um, maybe if you had contact with the other attorney that's doing the probate, then that might um, speed it up a little bit to be on top of them and uh, following right. up with them but okay. you would have to wait for the procedure to be done. Okay. So I, he estimated the, the owner um, or the, the, the one administering the, the probate estimated it could be up to nine months for this. <laughs> so wow. that's what I was asking if we could make it go a bit faster somehow. <laughs> well, I would call that um, attorney that is doing the probate and ask your attorney. I don't yeah. think anything could be done faster because it has to go through that process. Okay. Um, but all you can do is ask because it could vary with the laws in your state. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Okay, I'll be talking to my attorney tomorrow. I just thought if there was an, an angle I need to know as far as how Ron handles these situations, I want to have that information. Yeah, the only thing you can do is follow up to expedite. Okay. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, who's the next caller? Um, this is Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Okay, awesome. so I have a <laughs> so I have I have a, a three properties um, under contract, and I wanted to um, discuss exit strategies with you. Okay. Okay, so the first one is. Um, a two-family flat. I'm in Michigan. Um, the ARV is 125. Um, my purchase price. I, I have it under contract for um, his loan amount, which is uh, seventy thousand. Um, uh, yeah, seventy thousand. Um, zero down. His monthly payment is uh, seven hundred dollars a month. Um, and b- between the two units, it should bring in um, about $1,400 a month. Um, the upstairs unit, um, the tenant so is paying rent. She- Michael, hold on. You said this is a duplex? Yes. Oh, so it's a duplex. 
Okay, and uh-huh. so each unit should rent for seven hundred a month, and his payment seven hundred a month. P I T I. No, no, no. Uh, the downstairs unit, um, he was getting seven fifty a month from the downstairs unit, but the guy stopped paying the rent. And then the upstairs unit, he was he's getting uh, four fifty a month, and she's still paying the rent. And I think both of those rents are low. Um. So anyway, um, the the property it it needs some work. The the downstairs tenant he was supposed to um, he's supposed to be a handyman. He's supposed to fix it up, and um, he tore up the kitchen and and never fixed it. So it needs a new kitchen floor and basically a new kitchen. And so um, I'm thinking that I would want to sell it. Um, what do you call it? A work for equity. Okay. And yeah. I'm just. Yeah, and I'm just trying to see how how you would um, how you would do that. What would be your exit on that? So you're saying that it is duplex that the two of them meaning that the downstairs is one unit for seven fifty, the upstairs is another unit for four fifty. Correct. But it's actually a duplex. It's not just one house. It's it's, it's one it's one house, but it has an upstairs yeah. unit and a downstairs unit. Yeah. But it's one house. Yes. Somebody's buying the whole thing. You can't sell them separately. Right. Okay. So in that case, then, um, so you're purchasing it for seven seventy. The ARV is one twenty five. So um, zero down is good. Seven hundred a month is good since you really could um, rent them out, or you could basically do a lease option to a buyer that wants to rent it out. Now, do they have to rent it out, or can they live in the house all in one thing if they wanted, all one unit, all one uh, place? Well, or well, well, no, because to access the, uh, the upstairs unit, um, there's a sex, uh, separate entrance. So it's not like a, okay. a, a, yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you, it's a seven-year term plus a, an automatic seven-year renewal. I forgot to tell you that part. Okay, so there's a okay. The term is seven years and seven year renewal. Okay. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. So, so, so yeah, so I'm just trying to see what your exit strategy would be because it, it, like I said, it does need um, it does need some repairs. How much repairs? That's what you got to find out. How much repairs? Because here's Ron's formula. Um, but you're getting under terms, so that's good. But you've got to figure out how much it's going to need in repair cost because that could determine your purchase price. If it needs a lot of repairs, that's one thing. If it just needs a few repairs, then that's good on terms. But if it needs a lot of repairs and you've got to put a lot of money into it, then Ron says use the same formula he would use for cash, which would be 70% of the R minus repair cost. So if the ARV's 125 and um, – 70% of that would be 87.5 would be the most amount you'd offer minus repair costs to get to Mayo, most amount you would offer formula. So um, assuming that the repairs aren't going to be more than 17.5, so um, to make it a good deal for you. And then what you would do is you can, depending on the repairs, Michael, so okay. if it's cosmetics, then you can easily do a work for equity plan. If it needs, well, it needs like a, a new roof, okay, 
But if it, the roof's good and the AC's good and it's move-in ready, then, you know, you could do a work for equity. If it's just that the kitchen needs updating because it's old, then you can do a work for equity. And you can factor that into the equation. So you got to kind of figure out how much it's going to need in repairs, and then you go from there. Now, understand that work for equity means that a buyer wants to come in there and make some equity by doing his work. So if you wouldn't want to sell it for 125 if it needs repair costs to bring it up to the value of 125 So you have to factor in how much the repair costs would be, um, but then again, still, Michael, you need to make sure that ARV is on, whether it's on the current condition or it's after repair value, meaning that those things need to be done. Look at the comps you're comparing it to and see if those are remodeled or if those comps are in its as-is state and dated like it is. So then you've got to look at your formula. And... Um, so uh, you would want to give the, your exit strategy is what you asked me about. So you determine the value. Obviously, you want to increase it some for um, uh, a tenant buyer. However, if it's a work for equity and they've got to do work to get it to that price, then you've got to give them um, a, a break on the price so that it makes sense to them. So, mm -hmm. again, the answer to the question is if it is cosmetics, like, you know, it's got laminate and it could use some paint and it could use new cabinets and stuff like that, but it's livable as it is, and you can drop the price down and give it to, and offer it to a work for equity buyer. Okay? Okay. Okay. So what, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Uh, what would I drop the price to? If, it, if the ARB is 125 and I'm selling it on terms, you know what, and you know I'm paying seventy thousand for it. What would be a good uh, price to drop it to for a work to equity? Well, again, you need to figure out how much it needs in repairs. So you go estimate the cost of the repairs to bring it up to par, and then um, it may need other things as well. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it. The only it just needed it needs carpet paint, and the guy was going to remodel the kitchen, and as far as he got was tearing up the kitchen floor. So it needs a new kitchen floor, new cabinets and counters, and carpet and paint. Okay. So yeah, so I'm trying to see what would I what would I price it at for a work work to work for equity. Have you been through Ron's quick start training? Yes. Okay, so I want to point you back to your um, repair checklist. So if you go back to your repair checklist and you can go over what the cost of the items would be, he's got estimates on there for carpet, for paint, um, mm -hmm. you know, flooring, cabinets, countertops based on <clears throat> uh, square footage, which you can adjust for. So what you would do is kind of give an idea of what the estimate of the cost of the repairs would be. And then um, – if all that needed to be done, I mean, if it's in bad shape and it needs to be done to bring it up to an after repair value of a house that's of comps, not just one, but comps that have been renovated to get to 125, then you would figure out the cost of repairs and adjust it accordingly. 
So of course okay. you would mark it up. Now you got got to figure this. You got a long term. You got seven years and another seven years. So when you put a lease option buyer in there, um, you could potentially give them a two year lease initially. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't want to do the whole seven years, but if you give them a two year lease, that gives you the opportunity to extend your price to increase your price up from one twenty five to maybe say. Um, you know, 135 over two years, but then reduce it back down to take an advantage of, take in consideration the cost of repairs. So you back it down okay. that way from the cost of the repairs. But again, okay. you need to make sure that those repairs aren't excessive. Right now, your formula would be 87.5 minus repair cost. So you want to make sure that the repair costs aren't going to be more than that 17.5 because Ron never pays Mayo. So do you see what I'm saying? Otherwise, you want to yeah. get them to get the value and sell and the asking price, the purchase price lower than seventy thousand. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I don't think it's more. Yeah, I don't think it's more than uh, seventeen I mean, grand. Seven. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't think. It, yeah, I mean, it's livable. They're living there, um, so it's mostly co cosmetic. Um, okay, so the next property. Um, I just wanted to run this by you and tell me what you thought. So I got one under. The R on this one is um, one sixty. Um, I got a purchase price of one ten, uh, three thousand down. So it's about three percent down, a three year term. Um, um, but the the tenant is not moving out till July, so that's five months from now. So I was thinking I might list it with a realtor um, for you know for ninety days or one hundred and twenty days. And and um, you know if I if I sold it cool if not then I could because I'm you know I'm buying it on terms so I could just put a tenant buyer in there. Do you think that's a good idea or should I just go with the um, the tenant buyer extra strategy? Well, first of all, um, no matter whether you uh, sell it on the MLS or not. They still have to honor the tenant's lease, and nobody can occupy it until the tenant moves out in July. So right. that's yeah. one thing to keep in mind. Okay. So the other thing to keep in mind is in order to list a house on the MRLS, you have to own the house. So if you wanted to do that, you would have to get a listing agreement with the seller allowing you to be able to do that. Um, and, yeah, you could put it on the MLS, and you could try to get it sold so that it's you got a buyer lined up. Um, by the time the tenant leaves. That's a possibility. Don't forget to factor in your cost. If you're going to put it in an MLS, you maybe have a flat realtor, flat um, fee to put it in the MLS. If not, then you would okay. have to factor in cost for um, the uh, selling agent. Plus, you right. will have cost for the selling agent if you're going to put it in the MLS. Whether you right. have cost for the listing agent is depending on the listing and how you get it. So if you factor this in, let's say 3%, maybe you could do 2.5%. So if, you, if the ARV is 160 and you put it in the MLS, then you're pretty much selling it for what the ARV is. In other words, a true value because if you're trying to sell it to a cash buyer, then they're likely going to get a loan on 160, meaning that House has to appraise for whatever purchase price it is so that the lender will loan on it. So if your true value is 160, then you got 2.5% uh, minimum for realtor's fees and you got closing costs, so that's 160 uh, times 0.025 is um, 4,000. 
4000 for um, the selling agent, and then you've got closing costs. So those have to be factored in too. But you okay. could do that providing you got approval from the seller to list it. And, yes, you could do that and have a buyer lined up. Just make sure that the, everybody knows that uh, they're not going to take possession until right. um, so July. July. After, okay. All right. That's helpful. And then my, my last question I think you answered. I just wanted to make sure. So as, as far as if, if I'm buying a house on terms and I need to get insurance, you said I can go through getpropercoverage.com? Uh, yeah, but let me reiterate on that other one a minute. Hold on. Yeah, okay. getpropercoverage.com is it. But, you know, if you are, um, well, actually, two things. If you wanted to get an in buyer, in this market, you could still get it under contract, and probably if, you, if the seller will allow you to, um, and they should if you get it under contract, take it off Zillow, then you wouldn't necessarily, that's so long from now that you wouldn't necessarily have to put it in the MLS and have to list it with a realtor. You could still try to sell it on your own. You would just oh. make sure that you control the Zillow listing and you'd be selling it still as a FISBO because you have it under contract. Now is the seller going to – but the problem with that is everything's got to be fully understood that, you know, you got to communicate and you'd have something in there that – and the contract that says that the uh, seller would um, coordinate or uh, cooperate with uh, allowing you to show it to your tenant buyer if you're going to line it up to where you've got a buyer – by July, because then they would have to make arrangements with the tenant to allow that buyer to see it. That shouldn't be that complicated, you know, to show it a time or two. So um, okay. that could be arranged as well. Okay. So you're saying I, you, you would just try and put it on Zillow and sell it yourself and try to save those uh, realtor fees and commissions? Yeah. If, you, if this is one that you wanted to cash out on, because okay. um, you're getting it, and make sure it doesn't need repairs, that that's not a factor too. But if you, this is one that you want to cash out on, and then the other way, you're going to make more money. It's a three-year term, so you don't have a long period of term, so you've got to figure um, you could get a lease option buyer in there. The other way that you could do it is basically um, to just go ahead and um, to buy it and close on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you close on it, put a lease option tenant in there. That would give you plenty of time to have a uh, lease option tenant buyer lined up and ready to go to do like simultaneously closing in July, which they would come okay. in with a non-refundable option deposit. Um, let's see, you figure uh, if you're going to sell it, if the ARBs 160 and you only got three years, say maybe you're selling it for 170. So if you had 170 times, um, yeah, 10%, that's 17,000. You would give the seller three down and you would have extra there. So yeah. 17,000, but then you only have a $10,000 spread. So you've got to make sure those monies are escrowed. You see what I'm saying? You would yeah. only have okay, $10,000. Well, no, no, no. You would have more of a spread because you owe the seller 110. And then you're marking it up to 170, but you only owe the seller one. Um, 
110. So you still got plenty of spread there. So you could do it either way by selling it on a lease option tenant buyer. And what you would do is probably just put them in there for one year so that um, if they go ahead and they purchase in that one year, you're okay. If you wanted to renew the lease, you could. Or at that point then, and they're out, then you've already closed on the property, you own the property, and then you could put it in the MLS if you wanted or you could do whatever you wanted with it. You just want to make Um, sure that you've got it closed to pay off that seller within that three-year period. Okay, okay. And then so if um so when would I when would you start marketing for a tenant buyer if they can't move in until July and it's February? If you're gonna get a tenant buyer and you got it under contract, now see you could buy and take over the tenant lease, but I don't know that I'd wanna do that as much as uh, you know, it depends on the deal. You got a lot of equity here. Maybe you do wanna go ahead and buy now for sure and um, you know, have the tenants in place because then you would have a – you could go ahead and start marketing as soon as you get it under contract. As long as the seller oh. will release the listing from Zillow, which they should, as soon as you get it under contract, that's what's when you want to start marketing so you can get the best opportunity for a tenant buyer with the most amount cash because then this gives you plenty of time to hold out for a buyer with a larger non-refundable option deposit. Okay, okay, that, that's what I wasn't sure of. Like, is it too, you know, is it too soon to start marketing? But uh, you just answered my question. Okay, Not that's really, good. Because you never know. There are people that look in advance, and they're looking, and you know, maybe their lease doesn't run out for several months, and it works out perfect for them for the timing. And sometimes you got somebody that. Um, doesn't really need to close right away. So it just depends on your buyer's situation and to coordinate that with when the tenants are out and what works out okay. the best. All right. And then I would just market it on Zillow to find my, tele- my tenant buyer? If you're finding a tenant buyer, you would market on Zillow and Craigslist and you would put signs out. That is correct. Okay. 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 Well, this has been very helpful. I, uh, Facebook, okay, Facebook. Okay, yeah. thank you. Thank Facebook. you so much. There's a lot of places you can advertise for your tenant buyer. You're going to get the most attention on Zillow and on Craigslist and with just signs out. Signs are going to be um, create the most attention for you. Um, now, on Zillow, you want to make sure that if you've got an iPhone, you go do a two-minute video which is just a silent video of the property, and you want to upload it on Zillow because Google loves video, and you're going to get more attention on Zillow, and you're going to see you're going to get a lot more views on Zillow with that video that is from the um, Zillow app itself. That is a walkthrough of the property, not okay. just your own picture, but that one too. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye. Okay, who's up next? Hi, Mary Ann from California. Hi, Mary Ann. Hi. I, I have um, three questions, and they all pertain to payments. So my first question is, I only have checks with my home address on them at this time. So 
Is it best that I pay cash to the seller for the earnest deposit instead of a check so they don't have my personal home address? Well, a question. Are these checks from your business account? No, I don't have a business account. I just have a checking account right now. All right, so do you have um, a property under contract? No, no, not yet, but I'm, I'm just saying when I do, this is when I do have a property under contract, I wanted to ask these questions. Okay, well, it, what you should be doing is setting up an LLC so that when you go to buy a property, then it, the LLC will be the trustee. So right. you should have an LLC. So yes. once you have an LLC set up, then you want to set up a bank account for the LLC. So once you set up the LLC, you go to the doc. You get the. You print out the document number. You print out the um, the, the uh, information from when you did the LLC, and then you get the document number and you go to get an EIN number. And so it's really simple. You just go to irs.gov and click on Get EIN Number. And once you click on that, then you can put the document number in and it'll assign an EIN number, a federal identification number for your LLC, and then you can just print that right there, and all you do is take those two documents with you to the bank and set up a business checking account, and then you have a business checking account and you have checks with the business address. Now, if you want an address, the easiest way to do that is go to your local P, uh, uh, UPS store, and they will give you a physical address. So... They'll give you a physical address. It doesn't say P.O. Box. It's a physical address with a suite number on it. And then, voila, for a few bucks, then you got a business address. Okay. Now, I live in California, so you know that the LLCs are very, what, $800 a month. And I, yeah. I want to be able to do a couple of deals to make sure that this is something that I can do full-time. And okay. So I don't want to get an LLC yet. Okay, so in the meantime, that was my question. If I only have checks and I'm at a seller's house and I give them the earnest deposit, I mean the, yeah, the earnest uh, deposit, let's say $10 or $100, just give it to them cash. Yeah, okay. just give them an earnest money cash. Pay it okay. through like the PayPal or something like that. And oh, that's that's you I can do it through PayPal so that you got a record of it and you keep a record of the fact that you did it in cash. Um, oh, Ten bucks or a hundred bucks, the binder is nothing. I wouldn't worry about that. And if you get it under contract, then um, you want to make sure that even if you buy it in your name, it's your name as trustee, then you can move it over into a land trust and then you can probably get an LLC set up. And Bob Bloom can help you too. He's really good. And um, he can do it pretty quick for you. It is going to be more in California, but have you heard of him and have his contact information? Yes, I have. Uh-huh. Okay. So he can be very helpful in getting that set up for you. Okay. So my other one pertains to when making the seller's mortgage payments, let's say I have a deal, a purchase and sale agreement, or a lease option agreement with the seller, and... I'm going to be making the seller's uh, mortgage payments. 
is it a good or bad idea to get the seller's account and password info for their mortgage account so I can make their mortgage payments from my bank account directly to the seller's account, or is that not a good idea? Well, the best way to make these payments is to get it coordinated at closing with um, uh, escrow serve, escrow serve. It's the information is in the back of your manual. Let's see if I can find it for you. So escrow serve is a company that has been in business well over 10 or 12 years. They make they collect payments. So let me get that contact for you. It is. Oh, I, think, um, I think I have it. Yes. All right. So yes, it's eight hundred six five four seven eight seven zero, and the uh, website is escrowserve s e r v dot com. It could be escrowserveinc dot com. I don't know if he has it in there right or not, but so the this company's been in business over twelve years or so, and they um, and you can pass this fee on to your tenant buyer. It's probably about twenty five dollars. So they'll collect first month, or sorry, they'll collect the first mortgage. Um, if there's a second, they'll collect that. They'll collect for taxes, insurance, HOA, anything you got, they'll do the collections for, and they'll make those payments out for you. And then um, they handle all that, and the cost is passed on to the tenant buyer. So if you contact them, they'll give you two documents that you can have at closing. One is um, just the form to set it up, and the other is to have an automatic withdrawal from the bank account um, from the buyer's um, you know, bank account to make those payments, and then all that set up a closing, and it looks like that's part of the normal closing procedure. So I would let them handle it, um, and then the seller can then log into their bank account each month and know that it is being paid. But I don't know that it's um, so good to make the payment in uh, to handle the, I don't know if the seller is going to want to give you the password to his account online or not, but that's the way I would handle it is through escrow serve and let them make the payment and arrange it and take care of all that. So it comes from the buyer's uh, bank account to the mortgage company of the sellers, correct? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I, I do have, in the past I did have a house, that I did a lease purchase to a property that I owned, and I had a company that was only charging like three dollars. It was three dollars, three dollars, I think it was, per time per month, and they would go from the the lease option buyer to to pay the mortgage. So I see I could do it that way, also. Okay. Okay. Um, the other question is, um, let's say the seller wants some cash flow above what I would pay for the mortgage payment. Uh, how do you recommend that payment be made to the seller? The same way, like for instance, the seller wants $100 or $200 uh, cash flow, and then I have to make the payments from, you know, to pay the mortgage payments, but they want their cash every month. How would I handle that? The same way? Well, if it's extra and above the payment, then that just goes to the seller each month the same way. That just goes as a payment to them. The escrow service can do that too. They'll just pay them directly for that amount of money. Oh, okay. Or, let's see, or I would be having it come from my checking account to the seller's checking account. I could do it that way too. 
Yeah. Well, okay. wait, from your account to the seller's checking account? Um, I mean, uh, let's see. Yeah, because I would be paying the seller, let's say they want $200 a month. I would want to keep a record of the payment, yes, but you could do that. You, but the best way, like I said, is to use escrow serve because they're going to be collecting all the payment for the same fee and sending it off to them. So, uh, yeah, I guess in essence it's not going to come from the buyer. Well, it would be coming from the buyer because the buyer is going to be making the bulk payment. And then um, oh, right. if, you, if you use escrow service, then um, they'll just know to um, that $200 of it goes to the seller and instead uh, of all of it going to the mortgage company. You just set all that up at closing to what, who's going where, what's going where. Oh, yeah, that would be so much easier. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I think that's all I had to ask on that. Oh, uh, you did mention about if the seller has a Zillow listing, let's say they were trying to sell their house for sale by owner, and you said that we need to get the release from the seller for that listing so that, you know, I can post it for a lease option buyer. Uh, how do how do we do they just cancel their account and then I open up a new one? How do they are there directions somewhere or how do we have them hand it over to us? Well, basically you're gonna um, have the seller um, they're gonna go into the um, they're gonna go into the owner's tab. I was trying to get you complete instructions on how to do that. But basically, you have the seller, they go into the owner's tab and they release the listing. And, and then you pull up the, the Zillow account and you have them release it. And then they sign in the Zillow account and go to the owner's tab and scroll down and mark it sold. And then you can um, go into the public tab and scroll down to release the listing. And then that's when you can claim the listing. Oh, they, so the seller would, would post it sold because they're actually selling it to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, and then somehow, then I would open up an account for myself. Well, I actually have, I think I have an account with Zillow. Yeah, I do. Yes. So I would go to my own Zillow account and then... And then you would claim that listing. And claim that listing. Okay. Yeah, I would try to find the, the instructions on YouTube, but I couldn't find anything. Maybe I wasn't titling it correctly. Yeah, that's how you would do it. And you would do that before you give them the binder so that, you know, they sign the agreement. Okay, great. There's just one more thing I need you to do. Go in and release the listing here, and then I can give you your binder. Okay. Okay. Sounds good, Barbara. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Good luck. All right. Thank you. All right. I'm going to take the next caller. Okay. Okay. Who's up next? Let me hit next again. <laughs> I hit it again. I promise it's delayed. Let me hit next again. Wow.
Um, who's up next? Are you still in the queue, Marianne, or is someone else in the queue? Can you hear me? This is Marianne. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I keep hitting next. Okay. All right. I think I got you out. Who's next? <laughs> Are you still in the queue? I think. Well, can you hear me? Yeah, but I hit next. Oh, well, uh, I guess. Okay. Well, uh, sorry about that. All right. I'm going to see. And maybe there's no other callers in the queue. Maybe that's why. Anybody else in the queue? Yeah, this is Adam from Chicago. Hey, so it's, it, what's your first name? Adam. Adam. Hey, Adam. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I, so my question uh, was, uh, well, I, I've, I've got two questions. My, my first question is uh, pertaining to insurance. Um, when we're, we're buying a property on subject to or on a, a wraparound, um, mm -hmm. when we, what, I, what I want to do is I want to adequately get the, the insurance without triggering a due on sale. Um, do we put ourselves as the primary insured and then put the seller somewhere on the, on the mortgage statement? Because typically um, I'm running to an issue where the servicing companies are asking for proof of insurance, and I'm not able to provide proof of insurance because uh, I don't want to trigger them off to the fact that something weird is happening with the title. Well, your insurance company, uh, if you use them, they've done this a lot. So you're the um, mortgage the seller is going to be the lost payee. So just use the company that I mentioned and they'll take care of everything. Getpropercoverage.com. They're used to dealing with this. Um, and so you have that arranged when you go to closing. Okay. So do you, do you know if like, do you know if there's any, you know, like mortgagee clauses or anything like that that we'd put on here? Because for, for wraparound there's quite a few, uh, there's quite a few mortgages. A clause that you would put on there. Well, the insurance would be in your name, and you're going to be naming them as a lost payee. The you the the original seller is the lost payee. Yeah. If they have okay. equity in the property, and so with the more okay. you know, the mortgage company has got to be paid too. So, um, if they have equity in the property, if they don't, then they wouldn't. Okay, because I because so if I'm if I'm the if I'm the primary on the insurance, the first check would obviously go to the the to pay off the mortgage in the event of total loss. The mm -hmm. second check would go to me, and then any overage would then go to them for their equity. Well, um, yeah. Say say it's a total loss. Yeah, so it would be paid out. Like it was a total disaster, and everything was uh, gone. It was just completely gone, yes, that the uh, uh, insurance company is going to work with you, the insurance is with you, but obviously you would want to take care of everything that needs to be paid out. That's why they're listed as a lost payee and so is the bank because the bank's going to have to get their money. Okay. So if there's any seconds or thirds or anything like that that the seller is carrying through on the wrap, um, that would be where they're limited. That would be where they're limited to and everything else would go to me. Yeah, I mean, but of course you've got to pay the seller too. So yeah, um, and if you got to have the 
coverage on the second mortgage and any banks that are there because they all have to be taken into consideration. Okay, and it, is that going to be a problem if I, if I hand that document to the mortgage servicer? Is that going to be a problem then for the, the force placed? It shouldn't like, be a or, problem. Sorry, that's for, the post, for, 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 for a due on sale. Like, are they, are, is the servicer going to then tip off the, um, the, uh, no. the bank saying, hey, we think there's a titling issue here? No, that usually doesn't happen. It's a clerk at the other end of the bank, and they just take payments, and they're not looking for stuff like that. They're not even thinking through it. They're looking to get a payment. So, you know, okay, they're just in, are, are they just looking to see if the seller is still on there? But keep in mind, you know, you're paying the insurance company, and so the mortgage company just needs to know that the payments are being made. Okay. If the seller does have a, an insurance requirement through the lender, um, do you just have them continue to – do you just keep paying them to keep their insurance active, or do you let that the insurance lapse? Well, you're going to replace the policy that's there with the homeowner with one that you have. And so they just want to see the insurance. They just want to know that the, um, that the property is covered, that the, you know, the mortgage company is, uh, that the payment's being made, that the insurance payment's being made, that the insurance is being paid, and that there's coverage on the property. Okay. But if they're automatically escrowing foreign insurance payments, um, that you, like you, you'd be do, replacing I, do I just that let policy. them keep doing that? No, you yeah, do I let be them replacing that policy? Otherwise, it's going to be paid double. Right. So, but if I if I replace that though, because you know, assuming that the seller has got it set up for like some of the sellers have it set up for like auto withdrawal, or every month right. they they have a set that that they, they that the lender is looking for. Yeah, they can just change that. Okay, so have the seller make that change? Yeah, you would if it's their auto. Once you get the new insurance in place at closing, then um, that that all can be changed. So it's not being paid twice because you are okay. only going to be paying one insurance company, and you don't want to be paying double insurance. Okay, and then have EscrowServ make the payments to the insurance company as well. Yes. Okay. And then my, my next question is, where do I find the paperwork for a wraparound on, on the Gold Club site? On Gold Club, you would just search at the top, Purchase and Sale Agreement. And so a Purchase and Sale Agreement is the Purchase and Sale Agreement anytime you're buying. Depending on whether you're buying for cash or for owner financing or subject to, whether it's a first mortgage or a wraparound, you're still going to use the purchase and sale agreement. It's just a matter of how you fill it out. Okay. And if there's, if there's multiple mortgages, is there like a, a template or something that I can reference? Well, you're like going to just fill out Part 2B, um, and then the attorney will do the amortization at closing. You just, you just put in there that you're paying X number of dollars per month for so many years, and then... Um, that'll get handled. The attorney will do the escrow. He'll he'll and and you're just um, you know, putting that payment information in there, and they'll take care of that. Got it. Okay. So, and you said that was in two B. Correct. That's where you specify the owner financing, which is determined by you put it in paragraph one G that says 
subject to the um, terms and condition in 2B. Okay. All right. So, okay. So, with, so just to recap with the insurance. So, um, get the insurance set up uh, through through the company that um, uh, that you just mentioned. Uh, let's see. That is uh, the NREG. REIG. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, and then just let them know what I'm trying to accomplish, and they know how to set it up. But the loss yeah. payee would be the seller. Yes. Okay. All right. All I, right. Barbara, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Who's next in the queue? Hi. My name is Karen. How are you, BJ? Good, Karen. I have a question about wholesaling. Um, I know Ron says, and maybe I'm quoting him wrong here but he I'm just starting out and he says that wholesaling is the easiest and I'm trying to uh, find some sellers and I'm not seeing that that's the case so I guess I need to clarify I mean I know wholesaling is house is a good way to get started so what does he mean by that it's um, easier to find these houses in well. term. Okay, so wholesaling uh, could be easier. So what you're looking for is could be vacant, ugly houses that somebody wants to just pay cash, get, that you want to pay cash for. Um, it could be, and usually when you're wholesaling, it is houses that need to be renovated because otherwise if they're pretty, then they just put them out there for top dollar. So usually it's the houses that need to be renovated that are ugly that need repairs that you could find um, looking for vacant, ugly houses. Um, some of these could be in your MLS if they're not inundated, but you would have your realtor do keyword search like um, mold, as is, fire damage, etc. So those, um, then again, in the MLS, you can't assign the contract. So what you're really looking for are sellers that have ugly houses that um, you can't get under terms, but you can get for a good cash price that you get it under contract, and that means that you don't want to have to do the renovation. So you're going to sell it. You're going to get it below the Mayo formula, and you're going to sell it to a another investor that does want to renovate it. And that's where you're going to make a um, an assignment fee. Or you're going to make, um, yeah, if you're just going to wholesale it and you're just going to um, assign the contract, then somebody else is going to close and you would get an assignment fee. So okay. he's saying the easiest way is just to get it under contract and find another end buyer by um, going to your local real estate investing association group or by putting signs out, handyman special, and so on, find your end buyer that can then close and give you an assignment fee. Okay, got you. And I like some of the um, search words you said. You said as is, fire damage. What were some other ones you mentioned? Well, it could be anything. It could be um, um, as is, fire damage, trust. Um, oh, trust? Handyman special. It could be... Uh, uh, um, water damage. Um, just a lot of different things that you would look for motivated sellers in there. 
um, in the keyword research. They can also look for long days on the market and low price per square foot. But then again, you know, if it's an MLS listing, then they usually don't want you to assign the contract. So you're not really looking so much in there for wholesale deals as ones that, you know, you might be able to buy for cash and buy cheap. Um, a bank on property is not going to let you sign the contract. They want you to buy it with cash. So um, ideally, you still want to be finding sellers uh, that you can wholesale these properties to. Okay? Oh, that helps a lot. So you said trust. Um, um, like people, are you? why would that be um, a motivated seller? Who would a motivated seller be? Did you say trust? T R U S T or did I? No, not hear? I mean that. You know, that could be ones that you might search the MLS listing for if you're looking for uh, if they're if the realtor's doing keyword research for trust might be one of those things. You know, if it's in a trust, could be a probate. It could be anything like that that you're looking for, um, and and so on. So. Okay, I wouldn't but, have thought but of again, trust, but that's a good idea in probate too. Okay, well that mm-hmm. that explains it. That clears it up. Um, so, okay, but, well, I'm looking for both, but that's um, that'll get me started. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye. Okay, who's next in the queue? Be me, Tracy. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Okay. I have uh, two questions. I think I'll get the one that may be hard first and I guess the easy one last. Uh, right. So. <laughs> Since we just had uh, Ted Turner, uh, I guess in the summit, and then I went to his three-day event here uh, last few days. Ted Turner or Ted Thomas? Thomas, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, and what's your question? Have you or do you do the um, lease, are the, are the lien certificates, tax lien certificates yourself? No, I do not. I have done them. In fact, a couple of years ago, I just bought a tax certificate, and I bought it. I bought a house that was um, that the taxes were behind, and we bought it for twenty five hundred dollars. And it was in a historic district. And by the time we got the repair estimate, <laughs> that was going to be sixty, seventy thousand dollars, eighty thousand. Now keep in mind that the ARP was way up there in the two hundreds or something. We thought, ah, oh, we just don't think we want to repair this house. So I said, forget it. You know, I'm just putting it on there. I sold it for thirty-five thousand. Uh, I just put it in the MLS and listed it and sold it for thirty-five thousand and just wanted to be done with it. I didn't want to do. Since yes. repair like, with uh, yeah. storage innovation and all that stuff. So, so, so we, we, made, we made about, because of the fact that I had it listed two or three times and the first buyer didn't go through, even though I gave him a repair estimate showing it was going to be a lot of repairs, I guess he didn't believe me. And so the first couple of buyers fell through, so I kept their deposit. So actually I ended up making over 35000 on it just by doing it that way. Good. Yeah, so at least for, for me with the process, what I was wondering is that um, in the conferences that he talked about um, foreclosure is 100% of the time you have to put it through a foreclosure process after you buy the certificate? Um, well, if they're in foreclosure, so, I mean, that would be useful to know what the situation is. 
Yes, I don't. I haven't had you know one particular um, yet uh, done. So just um, I've bought at Texel before, but I just ended up um, the person redeemed. Um, and I'm in South Carolina, so you know I just uh, bought it and then waited, and they took like that whole year, and then I got a little bit of interest or whatever. Uh, so I never had to go to the next process, the next step. But, yeah, what uh, I had to do with mine was quiet the title. Because um, it wasn't in foreclosure, but I had to get the title quieted. So that took several months to get that done. So, yes, and know if all of them, I guess at least if there's a mortgage on it or something that we have to go through a foreclosure process on it, put it through foreclosure. And if you knew how much it costs, for example, like in South Carolina or wherever you might have done yours, uh, kind of what's the cost for a foreclosure process? Well... Uh, the attorney may cost about $2,500. I'm not sure. It's going to depend on your state, your attorney, and what they're going to charge you to do their foreclosure process. Now, if a bank does it and they get higher an attorney, they're going to tack on a whole bunch of charges. So if it's you foreclosing against them, then you just get an attorney that's going to take on that. Um, fee take on that um, that case, and they would do the foreclosure, and they would do the uh, uh, you know they would do the uh, get the title straight too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I um, hope the easy one uh, would be this one. It's just about the uh, lead information sheets um, on Section A. Um, pretty decent enough on just finding out if a seller has a mortgage or not on the property. Um, how do you, for example, what do you say to find out if it's within that $35,000 between the mortgage and the ask or the asking price? I kind of don't know how to broach that. Oh, just on the lead sheet? Yeah, the lead sheet, yeah. Well, I guess usually I'm getting leads that it's already gone through the VA and they've asked that question, but basically on the lead sheet, you're going to determine, um, well, the lead sheet will probably give you an idea whether it's free and clear, whether they have a payment or they've asked that or not. And so basically you're asking them the terms question and um, and then if they don't want to volunteer that information, I, I found that I don't really need mortgage information until I know they're willing to do terms. Once I know they're willing to do terms, then it's easy to get that information. For example, um, if I say, all right, so you're okay if we just cover your payments until we pay you off in full? Okay, great. Well, so what's your current payment? 1200 All right. And so um, how many years, so you're okay if we just make that payment until we pay you off in full? And I said, well, how long is that going to be? Well, how many years do you have left on the loan? 17? All right. Well, so um, you have 17 years left on the loan, and what's the balance? Mm -hmm. And then by then, they're interested, and it's just matter of fact. So, okay, so you're okay if we just pay that payment until it's paid out in 17 years? I don't want to wait 17 years. Okay, well, how long can we make a monthly payment to you until we need to get you paid off in full? And by then, you're just kind of matter-of-factly backing into the information of, well, okay, so what's your payment, how many years left, and how much do you owe? And then if you find it's really close, then you can just say, oh, well, um, would you sell for what you owe? Mm -hmm. And then you clarify that with, 
okay, well, what that would mean is the mortgage would stay in your name until such time in the future when we cash you out. You understand that, right? So that's how you get it. Okay, that's kind of how I did. Um, just one, even last night, um, my last one kind of backed in it after going to B first and kind of yeah. backed up into A. <laughs> okay. Right. Some sellers are more sensitive and some sellers are just tell you. And that's yeah. how you can get the mortgage information. And, and basically Ron has a rebuttal for that too. You know, we can make several offers, but we, needed, we need the information to, to be able to, to, give, to help you. Okay? Okay. Sounds good. That was it. All right. Good luck. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Who's next in the queue? Hi, Barb. Um, BJ. <laughs> Sorry, it's Myrna. Um, Hi, Myrna. How are you? I miss you. Um, you miss me? I miss you, too. I do. As soon as I get the money, I'm getting you back. <laughs> well, good. I'm ready to help you, so come on back. So my question is... This is, is a great okay. time to put in a good word for me, Myrna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. My question is, um, so... Um, Real estate is going up quite a bit, and <clears throat> what I'm coming across are properties that are um, out there for maybe $300,000, and um, when you do a comp, it's coming in at maybe 205 or 210 or something like that. So um, with them asking so much, it's really hard to go. Well, I mean, you can, you know, you can probably try to argue the fact that, um, you know, how did you get your comp? And you do realize that it's overpriced. But then they'll probably come back at, well, the market has gone up a lot. So it's like, how do you work that out? Because if someone goes to Zillow, which is never right, but it's saying that, you know, or real estate ABC or something, and it's saying that the property is only worth two ten. And this person is asking two ninety five or two ninety nine. How do you work that? Well, I play dumb, and I say, okay, so you're asking three hundred thousand. What do you think the house will appraise for? Uh, and they'll say three hundred thousand. I said, oh, okay, really? Uh, you know, I'm just curious here because Zillow says it's only going to be uh, only going to be worth two oh five. How'd you come up with that value? Did you get an appraisal? Did you get a realtor analysis? Did you see houses that have sold for uh, comparables that have sold in the neighborhood? Um, so how are you coming up with that? So one of two things is going to happen. First of all, Myrna, I'm going to first look a little deeper before I get to that point because that's a big difference. So I'm going to look and see if, well, you know, maybe that Zillow's just giving me houses like it, but it doesn't know that the subject house is on the water or the golf course, or it's got 20 acres attached to it. It's just going to give uh, an estimate of, you know, average houses that have sold around there, and it may not know specifics about this house. So that's the first thing to look for, because the seller is usually not going to err in that big of a difference. Um, and so then I'm going to check for that first, to see why Zillow or somebody, you know, at first glance, because I'm not going to really go do comps until I know that I got a deal and I got terms, but once I do, then I will. But 
So if um, that came up and the seller can't give me a logical reason and there's some really great terms other than that, you know, I'll confront them with, well, the comps I see are this. And if they're legitimately asking 100000 more than what the comps really are, they're not a motivated seller and you probably aren't going to get anywhere. But it's usually when there's that much discrepancy comes down to the fact that I don't think Zillow's got an accurate idea that it's on water or golf course or all the acreages. And then you just kind of talk to the seller and say, well, I'm just not seeing it. The comps I have here at 123 Main Street show this and 154 Main Street show this. So can you help me out? I, I don't understand. Okay. And put it back on them to justify their existence. <laughs> so you think... <clears throat> You're saying that wouldn't be on the first call. That would be after yeah. we get an agreement. And no, we let them no, no. That would be on the first call because you, you notice that, that, oh, well, Mr. Seller, can you help me out here? I, 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 you know, you're saying it's worth 300 How would you come up with that value? Because Zillow says it's only worth 205 And they'll know. They'll have a comeback. They'll have a reason. They'll have addressed that. Oh, and they'll my. tell you that Zillow is not right at all because their house has this, this, and this. It's on the water. Or, you know, sometimes they're just, well, I just think I'm going to see what's out there in the market because the market's so hot. And then I remind them, well, Mr. Seller, just want to let you know that um, we want to get you cashed out as soon as possible. And to do that, our buyer has to go get a loan. And so, therefore, when they get a loan, the lender's only going to loan on the appraised value. So, you know, they're just not going to pay more than the house is worth. And plus, i got to have a little rig room. i got to make something. So what is the least you can take? Awesome. awesome. Got it? That sounds good. That also, they, also that, yes, it did. Also, they had listed um, no agent. So what? They also had listed... Um, with the house, no agents that they didn't really want any. They didn't want any real estate agents. So I'm hoping okay. that they'll be open to investors. Cool, so. they will. So the question you ask is, what are you going to do with the house if you don't get all cash? And that tells you whether to follow up or not. If they say they're going to rent it, well, hey, well then, would you do a lease with an option to buy to me? And you go from there, and you narrow down their objections and what they can do and. It, so if they say, well, I'm just trying to sell it on my own. I might consider it later. All right, great. Do you mind if I follow up with you in a couple of weeks? And you do. Perfect. Thank you, BJ. You're so welcome. Welcome back. Uh, give me a uh, call whenever you're ready. Okay, thank you. All right, bye now. Bye. Um, I don't know if anybody else is in the queue. Is there anybody else in the queue? Yeah, hi, BJ. It's Karen again. I thought of one more question. Okay. <laughs> uh, Ron's been talking about um, land and buying land, and that can be lucrative. My question is, how do you find comps for land? I don't even know if you call them comps, but how do you find the value for vacant land? Um, that seems to be difficult, and I haven't figured it out. So can you help me with that? Well, if you're buying in land, it's going to be in a large track, and they're going to have a broker most likely advertising that land, I would think, unless it's just a seller that you ran across. Um, and right. So, Whatever uh, it is a seller that an individual. Okay. We'll figure out how they came up with the value, first of all. 
and then you can just go and see what how what land's selling for around there, what comparable values are, what the land costs are, and then this may be what when if you're really going to get it under contract and you're going to put it out there for sale, then you're probably going to want to um, sell it with a, uh, a commercial broker too, and then they can help you pull up some comps for the land as well. And so um, you're just basically getting comps, comparables of land that's around there that's for sale. Okay. Have you done much with land yourself, or do you stick with no. health? Okay. I have not. Yeah, I don't know much about land either. I'm kind of curious, but it seems like it'd be hard, very difficult to come up with a price. So, okay, well, that that is a good starting point. The land that I was dealing with was years ago. My partner and I were um, buying a development in Belize on the water there, and it was another country, and we were buying 25 acres and was going to do a, a marina development and solar off the grid and... Uh, the whole nine yards, but that wasn't in this country. And so, yeah, no, I have not done land deals here. Um, I have not. So, but it should be pretty easy to get the comps once you, you know, you just find comparables. You're not going to have the same price on a one-acre lot that you're going to have on, you know, 25 acres or 30 acres. So it's going to be more... um, for the one acre price per acre than it is going to be for the 25. So I think you should be able to get help with it and um, you'll get a good idea how they price it and to see if it's a good deal or not and worth pursuing. Okay, great. And how I'm curious, how did your deal in Belize turn out? Well, it started out to be really good and it was um, a great opportunity, but the investor that we had down there, um, we got his house, shipped um, structural insulated paneling. We got the development going, but then the developer decided he really just wanted his house built, and he pulled out of the investment and the whole thing, so we didn't finish it. And then plus my partner got cancer, and that was another story. So, but Oh, wow. Um, okay. A lot of things happened. Yeah, but we didn't get to see that one to fruition, but it was fun. Um, creating it and exploring it and doing the build-out, the architectural and and all that stuff, but it, we didn't actually um, finish the project. Okay, got you. It's interesting, though. So, okay, well, thank you again for your help. You're welcome. Talk to you well, later. Next time, too. Paul, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Now. So I don't think there's anybody else in the queue, but I'm going to hit next. I think the queue's empty. Um, is there anybody else there? Um, I'm going once. Anybody else in the queue? Going twice. Um, if you are forever, speak up now or forever hold your peace. But I think that's it, and I think I've covered everyone. So I'm going to end the call right now, and good luck with you guys, and continue to take action, and I wish you all the best. So um, one last chance, is there anybody else in the queue? So before I end the call. Okay, guys. Well, I've enjoyed it and wish you the best. So bye-bye for now.